Hey everyone, here's another Patreon preview. This is an interview we did with Prez, who is a PhD candidate in a college in New York City. And if you want the full thing, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash workstoppage. And if you can't afford to do that, jump in the Discord, message one of the admins, and we'd be happy to hook you up with all of these great shows that we do for our patrons. But we're entirely listener-supported, so we do really, really appreciate it when you do support us. But here is the preview, and I hope you enjoy it. Solidarity. Yeah, so we really appreciate you coming on the show, Prez. And just to to preface why why we asked Prez to come on and talk with us is I, I think as folks especially may have noticed if you've been listening to our recent uh, weekly, you know, news roundup episodes, there's been a lot of labor news coming out of academia recently. Like one of the biggest trends in the recent upsurge this year in the labor movement has been centered around organizing in academia. Like uh, per reporting from daily union elections, the five largest union filings of the year have all been at academic institutions from MIT to BU to the University of Chicago. Thousands of academic workers, tens of thousands actually at this point, have joined unions this year for the first time. And so as we've covered these individual union drives and various strikes at colleges and universities, patterns have emerged showing extremely low pay and a near total lack of benefits that many of these workers face while their institutions bring in record incomes. And, and, you know, these schools, which depend so heavily on the labor of students and part-time faculty, have been totally willing to attack these workers aggressively to hold down their labor costs while increasing administrative salaries. So we thought it would be a good idea to try and explore these issues more deeply. And, you know, what better way to do it than by hearing directly from somebody who's in academia right now. So, you know, wanted to reach out to, to, to my friend Prez, who's, a, a, a yeah, as, as John said, is a, is a PhD candidate, so is very much embedded in the, the world of academia right now, if, if you'd be willing to come on and, and tell us about it. So to start off, with all of this organizing that we've seen pop up in graduate student workers, not just this year, but really over the last five or six years, we've seen you know many huge institutions win unions for the first time for their grad workers or win their first ever contract or hold their first ever strike. And this is covering kind of the gamut from elite private institutions like MIT, Columbia, and Yale, but also huge public research institutions like uh, the University of California system, where the, the biggest strike in the country is going on right now, but also places like New Mexico State University, Indiana University. In, in Across the board, you've got thousands of grad students turning to labor action to improve their lot. So, Prez, can you tell us what conditions are like right now for grad student workers that have spurred so many grad students to turn to labor organizing right now? So I wouldn't say there's anything particularly new. I would, I would say that the things that have happened outside of academia have been the driving factor. So inflation has gone crazy. Living costs have gone up. Even before pandemic, all this stuff kept getting worse. Um, the university that, I've, that I'm in we're unionized and we've been unionized for almost, I believe, 20 years. Um, so there is a kind of background of organized labor within academia and even the administration in a lot of especially public universities are already unionized. Um, I think the thing that's coming up now is that the schools are being even less 
open to improving stipends or even keeping them up to the same pay after inflation is, has happened. They're uh, kind of leaning into the precariatization of work in academia um, and going for big grants. Um, so the, the kind of, we'll get to everything eventually, I guess, I'm guessing, but the way it is now in academia for graduate students is grad students do most of the work. Um, you have to essentially beg a uh, faculty member to take you on as, a, as your advisor. And when you do that, you're most often either shifting from what you're actually interested in and uh, doing research for into their own work, because that's the only way they'll mentor you on how to do statistics or how to do this specific research methodology. They won't say, okay, um, this is the general similarity we have between each other. I'll teach you based on that generalizability. Uh, you can have someone who's uh, looking at environmental injustice and will only take on mentees who look at that. So mm -hmm. you have a huge reliance on faculty to even just complete your degree outside of the fact that um, faculty who are your advisor or who are in your committee, usually you have three or four sometimes five people who give the final stamp of approval for your dissertation that turns you into uh, a quote-unquote doctor. Um, mm. At various points, there's ways for them to sink your career even before you finish. So if you get into a fight with them, if you say that you know, you're keeping me up until one in the morning every night to run stacks while you go sleep, um, I don't want to do that anymore, they could refuse to work with you. They could refuse to, uh, okay, your independent research and all of that kind of stuff. So there's those problems that have been going on for a very long time. I think in your Columbia episode, the guest mentioned uh, a lot of sexual abuse scandals that happen. Mm -hmm. um, there's still not a lot of movement on that in any university. So I know, for instance, the code of conduct at a university who some of my friends go to, the code of conduct is essentially you shouldn't be having non-consensual relationships between staff and students, which is incredibly vague um, and incredibly unhelpful for everyone involved and meant as a protective measure. So there was someone in sociology who a few years ago got caught out being predatory and he, his punishment was a, uh, a retirement <laughs> uh, uh, wow. this guy was at the end of his career he was at the top of the field um in they call it uh men's studies it's like the reaction to feminist studies quite literally oh, um it, wow it's really an insane subfield um but he was like the the person from that and he got caught being predatory to all of the women who wanted to work with him and instead of anything happening to him, the university put him on paid sabbatical until they said, okay, you're old enough to retire now. Wow. Interesting. So what, partly what you're saying is that it's not just like, it is the intransigence of the institutions in the face of like the difficulties that these workers are facing, but it's also that like in both cases of like, you know, uh, awful social transgression, like sexual abuse, or in terms of just like diverting the working energy of these people away from their projects into 
the faculties projects, it seems like there's a dimension of like marketization or like commodification where like it puts these faculty in a position where they get to act like a, a, a capitalist in a slightly modified sense where they don't have to face punishment for, you know, their, their misbehavior. And they also uh, have an inordinate amount of control over the working lives of the people beneath them. Oh yeah. And that, that was, I don't think we can separate that from the institution or the university we're talking sure. specifically. This is the structure of what academia is as good as the idea of tenure causing job security is. It has the back side effect of really tenure only existing in academia for people who are at the top of the food chain. They're the, they're the head researchers, they're the teachers, they're the people who are advising the net, the quote unquote next generation of scholars. Um, and I know a lot of professors end up taking administrative jobs on the side and, or it's kind of a flip. So, you know, you replace your teaching obligations and research obligations with being a dean of admissions, for example. Mm-hmm. So these are all, it's very embedded and there's no real way to have a non-exploitative uh, academic field, I would say, because it's all based on worker exploitation in some way that, or another. So even if we're not talking about grad students, say you're a brand new, like you just got out of grad school, you got your first position, so you don't really have any advisees yet. You get a grant from the federal government to do research on something. We can specify this later about how defense industry uh, messes with academia, but just generally you get a grant from the government to, to look into something. The university generally takes between 30 and 50% of that grant, <laughs> just as, Ooh, as they just call overhead? it, as overhead, administrative overhead. Wow, so you wow, get a grant wow. for $5,000, you're down to $2,500. Uh, (laughs) And you mentioned uh, the Columbia interview. I just want to be able to point the listeners that that is episode 81 if you want to go back and hear other uh, coverage that we've done on this. But I just wanted to mention that before we got to the next question. One, two, three, four!